Untitled Beatles podcast. If you could imagine anything, TJ, what would you imagine? I'd imagine the album we're going to talk about today, Tony, which is Julian Lennon's 85 hit, Valat. Maybe 84. <laughs> Valat. That's a street in Elmhurst, I think. That's where he named it off of. George Harrison's uh, sister was the Beatle in Benton. <laughs> right. His ass. I'm getting all the facts wrong to start the day. Our listeners are going to be thrilled. Oh, they love it when we get stuff wrong. Hi, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. So I'm Tony Mendoza. And I'm TJ Shanoff, and we're not doing Julian Lennon's Falat today, although it's actually a really good album. How can I explain the meaning of our love? It fits so tight, closer than a glove. Is that right? When did that one come out? I don't even know. Approximately. Initially, I said 85. I'm now going to say 1984 because it was my generation's Van Halen. Okay. <laughs> it was my generation's 85 Bears. So. <laughs> That's the thing about the 84 Cubs. They were my, uh, other than the championship, they were my generation's 85 Bears. Um, 84 Cubs, by the way, one of the most underrated teams in baseball history. I have nothing to back that up on, but it was a gr- I mean, that was a great team and they only lost game five. That game was played in San Diego. They yeah. lost game. The Cubs had the better record that year. They won the NL East and that's before they did all the realignment in the nineties, of course. And they only played the game in San Diego because the Cubs didn't have um, lights and that was going to be a night game, I think, for NBC. So it was played in San Diego, which sucked because they lost that game. Batting second. Tony Gwynn. Playing right field. Yeah, Tony 19, Gwynn. Tony Gwynn. Good hitter. <laughs> Decent. <laughs> but seriously, TJ, we're actually going to talk about Imagine, John Lennon's second solo album. It's the 50th anniversary today, actually, on the day we're recording this. September 9th, 1971 is when it was released in the U.S. That's right. And uh, it's kind of magical to be talking about this album today. It's such a great record. And there's so much to talk about. First, Tony, let's start with a little housekeeping. Oh, I love housekeeping. I love housekeeping, too. I mean, Ann B. Davis. (laughs) Which is a terribly, that's not a grammatically correct way to say her name. It's Ann is Davis. (laughs) <laughs> you're right it, it should be Ann is davis or Ann equals davis yeah yeah <laughs> that's a brady bunch reference that's uh, alice the housekeeper there's anything i can't stand it's a perfect kid and six of them yeah yes we do have some housekeeping yes yes i'll start tj i got a couple things so the beatles recently asked on social media you know the beatles they're on social media are you on social media I, I, you know, I'm, I'm on, uh, I'm on Friendster. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm still on MySpace. I, you know, I only want to pe- know people's first names or nicknames, really. I don't want to know your last name. What's your nickname, Tony? <laughs> oh, it's uh, <laughs> Beetle Sniffer. <laughs> That's right. Well, Beetle, Beetle Sniffer 7. There's six others, you know. I've been calling you Captain Foot since your weird Rick Rubin <laughs> fetish. <laughs> hey, man, don't judge it. Don't knock until you try it. Wiki feet, Rick Rubin. The Beatles recently asked on social media if you could put a Beatles lyric on a billboard, which lyric would it be? And I thought, don't bother me. 
you know, because I'm actually anti-billboard. This would be an anti-billboard billboard. A billboard against having things on billboards. Don't bother me. I like that. Okay. It's very Canadian. If you drive across the King's Highway in Canada, hardly any billboards. I would say zero. Well, that, there's an interesting thing for all of our Chicago listeners that I-90 has all, after the after the merge, I-90 has all the billboards heading out to like Schaumburg and Arlington Heights, but 94 is kind of billboard free. So the yeah. Kennedy got the billboards, the Edens didn't. And uh, just a little fact for those of you who are in the <laughs> Chicago area expressways, I feel, <laughs> listeners, we like you a lot. We're grateful for you, but I, I feel badly for you. <laughs> you can listen to us talk about Chicago expressways in your Beatle podcast. It's okay. It's okay. There's a 30-second uh, button if you want to skip over that. Right now, the traffic on the Eaters Expressway looks real good this morning. The volume is light, and the traffic's moving at the limit north and southbound between Dempster Street and the Kennedy Junction. Another one I thought, Matt Bugsby, dig it. I just think Matt Bugsby could have uh, his own billboard. Yeah, people never cite dig it when they think of great Beatle lyrics. <laughs> certainly, not, certainly not the 18-minute version. <laughs> Matt Bugsby! Dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it. So Matt Bugsby, dig it. What would you put on a billboard if you had to, TJ? Right next to yours, I do. That was Can You Dig It by Georgie Wood. Can you dig it by Georgie Wood? And now we'd like to do all the angels come. So they'd have to go together. Sold. <laughs> no, I probably would do See How They Run, about how everybody's running red lights lately, at least in the greater Chicagoland area again. More Chicago trivia. People here are driving like assholes. See how they I learned to drive in the city of Chicago. I know how to drive and be a dick, but there's one thing kind of being a bit of a defensive driver and another just driving like you're out of your mind. That's happening right now. And it, it actually, as a with a kid in the car a lot of the time, it scares the hell out of me. Stop, why oh. are you running? That light turned red nine seconds ago. What are you doing? Yeah. No, man, I think that's actually kind of a worldwide or maybe a nationwide thing i noticed that i just drove from la to chicago and uh yeah people out here are driving crazier than this is like a pre-covid post-covid thing like people got used to driving like triple digits on these highways when they were empty and now they don't want to give that up and they're just like zipping around like a pinball machine on these expressways just be careful out there man be careful even in the right lane where if you're going to drive slow and that's where you should be if you're driving slow there's just people just driving, you know, 100 miles an hour in the right lane now. I, I always try to think of it like maybe that's maybe that's somebody's mom in front of you or somebody's dad or somebody's kid. You know, like drive like you're looking out for somebody else. Yeah. Don't drive like John Lennon, who is a notoriously terrible driver. Yeah, John Lennon was a terrible driver. And also uh, one of John Lennon's friends in the mid 70s, don't drive drunk because uh, mothers against drunk drivers are mad. Stevie Wonder's probably best lyric. Back to great lyrics. You don't think dig it when you think of great, great Beatles songs. And when you think about people who drive badly, can I say one thing about freedom, Tony? I respect the heck out of the people who don't want to get vaccinated and want to stick it to the man. I say also don't wear a seatbelt. Prove that you're a patriot. 
<laughs> it is a new seatbelt ordinance. If the town council gets its way, seatbelts will be mandatory for everybody riding in the front seat of a car through Richland. I'll have to detour the town to get to Kalamazoo. They pass a seatbelt ordinance, but I don't use a seatbelt. What's your housekeeping? Uh, my housekeeping is I got I got droopy mic syndrome. <laughs> you better get that looked at, man. <laughs> Things have been hard in my marriage lately. I have got. DMS. Not to be confused with DMX. X gon' give it to you. R.I.P. <laughs> he gon'. He gon'. Um, yeah, uh, we get so many great messages and so many great Facebook uh, posts that I can't read them all, but there's one I had to mention because it's it's a, a correction of something I didn't know about. Uh, David Scott wrote in and said uh, he listened to our first to All Things Must Pass episode, and apparently version two of Isn't It a Pity has a mastering error. It's the instrumental passage at about two minutes in when they're repeating the opening, the da-da-da-da-da-da-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum, that phrase. One of the backing instruments is off. Yeah, there was something off with like the sync, syncing up the instruments with each other. So there's some instrument that's out of sync. Is that right? Yeah. Right during the instrumental passage before the second verse. And it seemed to me the first time I heard it like it was a mixing choice because it, I, I thought, oh, maybe yeah. it's out of sync and buried. You know, I mean, listen, I know all things must pass really, really well. I'm not going to pretend that. I know it's not like the harmonica intro of I should have known better where when they restored it yeah. after the drop off for 30 years, you notice, you know, yeah. a, a Mellotron being out of place does not change my world at this point. But when it was pointed <laughs> out, it certainly made a ton of sense. And as of this taping, Tony, I don't know if there's been any comment from Capitol or from the George Harrison estate, but. If it is an error, it's a pretty big deal on a set that they're selling for $1,000 with a gnome. <laughs> recall. <laughs> Re recall. <laughs> Send it back. Send it back. This album is not safe to play. <laughs> Return shipping on that box is $300. <laughs> what do you think, Tony? I mean, if it, do you think it's if it is a mistake, is it? a big fuck up on a definitive set of a definitive album? Or do you think, well, maybe it's just kind of cool that it exists. Yeah. I think it's cool that it exists. People make mistakes. It's a human error. I'm in the way of like, okay, cool. You, you got this stuff, right. But you messed that one part up. Something happened. I think it's, a, you know, it's like with the whole, uh, the native American blanket thing, they put one imperfection in there, you know, to make it uh, unique. They better not teach that in my child's school. <laughs> Don't know much about history and scene. <laughs> Speaking of history, also in that episode, I got something wrong. I miscredited. We were talking about Shut Up, Little Man. Shut up, little man. Those, uh... Those two alcoholics in San Francisco that were the neighbors of... Uh, I... I credited it to the band Thinking Fellers Union Local 282. They were a band in San Francisco around that time, but they were part of the tape trading community that was helping put those tapes out of these two men who were arguing. So the actual neighbors of the men who were doing the recording, their names were Mitchell D. and Eddie Lee Sausage. 
So I just wanted to Mornings give them the Mornings on LA's credit. home for rock. <laughs> and now here's Thinking Fellers Union Local 282 with my pal, the tortoise. My pal, the tortoise, how fast does he go? And he goes like crazy. Western Union! Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> now that's a bad oldie. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you get on like oldies 104.3 at one in the morning. <laughs> we get it. Western Union. No, not to hog up too much of this, but I, I do keep the the kind notes coming in. We do read all the fan mail. I mean, there will eventually be a moratorium on the fan mail, but for now. Keep the fan mail in. I just wanted to say thank you, Jason, who is uh, up in Newfoundland, speaking of Canada, with uh, his parents listening to us up there. So thanks, Jason. Appreciate the note and appreciate you getting what we do. We love hearing from you, even the negative comments, uh, which we just delete because life's too short for any of that bullshit. And let me re- reiterate something here. I'm not Mark Lewison. I'm not. There are so many great Beatles writers and scholars. Bruce Spicer, Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. These are brilliant Beatles scholars. Chip Madinger. Chip Madinger. Uh, Mark Easter. Mark right. Easter? Or am I confusing him with the guy who, who produced a lot of pop in the 90s? You're thinking That's of Mitch Easter. Mitch Easter. <laughs> and then Mike Easter is what I'm sitting on currently. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, there's so many great Beatle authors and scholars. Tony and I have loved the Beatles from a very early age. There's things we know a lot about. There's other things we're Beatles stupid. We apologize when we're wrong. We're not trying to be experts. We know the obvious stuff. Hard Day's Night came out in 67. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty sure. Either 67 (laughs) or 69. It was one of the two. (laughs) Well, actually, with Hey Jude, some of it did come out in 1970, but we'll get to that on a different episode. Different episode. (laughs) Uh, You know, I've never heard Hey Jude, so I'm looking forward to reviewing that. (laughs) But we like the Beatles. We want to do things right. We like, you know, John, Paul, Ringo, George, and Bert. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Are we done with housekeeping? Should we close the closet? So today, as mentioned earlier, is September 9th, and this was the day that 50 years ago, John Lennon's Imagine came out, at least in the U.S. In the U.K., they had to wait till October 8th, nearly a month later, for the release. That's pretty cruel, don't you think? (laughs) Suck it! U.S.A. U.S. Ain't that America? You and me, baby! First! America. You gotta wait for John's newest release, baby. Ain't that America? Biggest, best. (laughs) Number one forever. Like a rock. (laughs) Oh, like a rock. That's pretty good. You're actually straight in there. Pretty good. good, Yeah. (laughs) Some about Seeger. Like the Beatles are fine, but I love Seeger. I gotta get out of Denver. A lot of people consider this his best solo album. It was definitely obviously his most commercially successful. Lennon himself referred to it as a chocolate covered version of Plastic Ono Band. And a shit covered version of Plastic Ono Band was called Sometime in New York City. The album was recorded uh, February 11th and 12th of 1971 during the Power to the People session. And then later picked up in May, May 24th 
uh, all the way through July 5th of 1971. It was recorded at John's house in Ascot Sound in Berkshire, right? Berkshire, right? Not Berkshire. I think it's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Because there's David Shire who did, you know, Manhattan Skyline on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Oh, yes. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> we don't say David Shear, or do we? Maybe in Britain they say, you know, David Shear. Can we all, as long as you brought it up, can we brought up how the Tavares version of More Than a Woman is definitive? <laughs> you think it's better than the Bee Gees, yeah? I do, I do. Yeah. Bye. Saturday Night Fever, pick it up. It's out, it's out there. Kind of hard to find, especially used. For real? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere. Hey, someone's Crater Records is out there. Oh, they've got Saturday Night Fever in Oklahoma in near mint condition. <laughs> well, I say Berkshire. So that's me. Feel free to knock me out on that. They also went to New York City to do uh, sax overdubs at the record plant. And then they did, also did some stuff at Abbey Road. It was produced by John Yoko and, of course, Phil Spector, pre-murder. He wasn't well, but it was before he murdered someone. So we have that. He's dressed impeccably in the in the uh, that Give Me Some Truth documentary. Yeah. Where they kind of show the a uh, lot of the making of the album. And uh, yeah, he, you don't you look at him and you don't think, oh, he's going to murder somebody. But then he has that high pitched voice and you're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I can see this. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, do you think Getty Lee murdered somebody? Yeah, music with like soul that doesn't sound like R Russia's songs were mixed in DDD in the seventies. It's so digital and like tinny. I, I don't, I don't hate Rush. I prefer like Rush Live to like Studio Rush. Exit stage left. Well, yeah, they have a lot of footage of all these sessions, or a lot of the sessions, I should say. They have 60 hours of footage, which gave us uh, Give Me Some Truth, that documentary that came out about 20 years ago, I think, right? Something like that. Yeah, 2000. Above Us Only Sky, which also came out maybe a couple years ago. And then Imagine John Lennon, that film, that what was that, 1988, right? 88. And Andrew Salt directed that and also did the Give Me Some Truth movie in, in 2000. Yeah. So he'd been well immersed in that footage since. And the Imagine movie from 88 is its own episode or two-parter. Definitely. It's one of the most influential Beatle moments of my life is seeing that. But it was looked at as being a little too scrubbed in the aftermath mm. of Lennon's death to be very, almost like when Anthology was telling the Beatles story, it was a very like, you know, yeah. Lennon-centered take from his camp. Yeah. But the Give Me Some Truth doc that shows Lennon, that's the most warts and all John Lennon you'll ever see on film. I mean, he uses the C word like three times. Yeah. Or, you know, screaming at Phil McDonald, the engineer, every five <laughs> minutes. You know, like it's so that like the, the great yeah. thing about the doc kind of behind this album, and we're going to go predominantly in the album, but some of the visuals from it I'll always associate with hearing this music. And that's a great look at unsanitized John Lennon, the one that we've kind of forgotten about a bit as we get to the title track of the album in a minute. 
Totally, totally. And it uh, real quick, the cover photo. Remember when they <laughs> remember the original cover photo that they uh, they show and give me some truth. <laughs> like his face with like was it clouds in his eyes? Yeah, they cut yeah, his yeah, yeah. eyes out. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and replace them with clouds and they i think at first i think they were like oh yeah i kind of like that uh, but you could tell i think they don't like it because it's creepy it's like the, it would be the creepiest cover ever everybody in that room whether it's george or john or nikki hopkins or alan white they're the best improvisers ever because they just yes and yoko and then move <laughs> the fuck on yoko is a note they go Anyway, what should we? They, they don't shoot her down, but they just move on. Yeah, yeah. The original cover was creepy, so then it was replaced by a couple of Polaroids that Yoko took, not Warhol. Some people thought it was Warhol. My mom used to refer to that cover. She thought she thought Lennon looked like it was a mugshot. It also came with a thirty-three by twenty-two inch poster of John at the white piano. It looks like you're pulling it out. <laughs> the poster that is right now. Hey. Hey. <laughs> yeah, the famous and this has come with most pressings. I mean, I had this the first vinyl copy I had of this was and I still love it. It's one of the worst sounding, but it's the album they issued I got I want to say in 87 that on the cover itself on the top says digitally remastered. Remember oh, that was like a big yes. selling point? Yes. That was my first copy on that Purple Capital, the small Purple Capital label. And even that came with this poster, so up until the 80s they were still printing it. A lot of record companies would uh, and a lot of product they'd cut back. The Magical Mystery Tour book, Capital, stopped printing after a while. But yeah. they still printed this poster, which was cool. That is cool. Now, did it come with the postcard, too, in 1987? Uh, I don't remember. I'll check. But uh, this is the postcard. This is from the 2000, uh, whenever the most recent vinyl issue came out. The CDs came out in 2010. I'm forgetting when the vinyl came out. It might have been the same year. Yeah, and it comes with this postcard of John holding a pig, which was a response to Paul's Ram album. We'll get into all that later, as you know. But this is, yeah, kind of a cantankerous time for uh, Lennon-McCartney. Is that the right word? Yeah, and what's so weird about this album, I mean, this is, I, I prefer Plastic Ono Band, Tony, just because Plastic Ono Band, to me, makes me emotional in ways this album never necessarily has. Mm -hmm. The highs on this are two of John Lennon's biggest moments as a solo artist, and, and that's Imagine and Jealous Guy. Those are songs that even the most casual of John Lennon fans know. Those are ubiquitous John Lennon songs, certainly more well-known than anything on Plastic Ono Band, but the cohesiveness of Plastic Ono Band, I prefer it. What's so weird about Imagine is John's playing both sides of the coin on this album. Yeah. He is peaceful and a dreamer, and he's angry, and he's bitter. And sometimes it varies from song to song, sometimes in the same song on a couple of occasions, it's probably his most fascinating album, and to the masses, it's his best. It's it's his band on the run. Mm. It's his all things must pass. Yeah. It's his in your parlance um, vertical man. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's different, not a bad album. Right, because like, I play drums, man. so right, that's my parla <laughs> parlance. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be confused with Particle Man, the very annoying They Might Be Giant song. Is he a dot or is he a speck? When he's underwater, does he get wet? Or does the water get him instead? Nobody knows Particle Man. 
you know, I get that. But if there are They Might Be Giant songs to endure, that is one I would pick. That and minimum wage. <laughs> <laughs> people always, because I love musicals and I like pop, people always think I love They Might Be Giants. I They drive me nuts. Istanbul and not Constantinople makes me crazy. That's nobody's business but the Turks. Istanbul. <laughs> I'm with you. I get it. I uh, Yeah. I had a dumb band and we did like kind of goofy. We had a comedic stage show and we always got compared to They Might Be Giants. And I actually wrote in a uh, letter to the Chicago Reader declaring a moratorium on them comparing us to They Might Be Giants. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually printed it to their credit. They printed my... <laughs> My moratorium. <laughs> I, I, I love the reader. I, I think Chicago misses the reader. I know it's online, but it's not the same. It's definitely not the same. I miss it, man. I miss. Yeah, that was a that was a, a Thursday thing I would do as a bike messenger in the city. I would be looking for uh, a fresh, hot off the presses reader. Thursdays? When? Did, yeah, Thursdays when it came out, right? Right. I want to say it was Thursday because Friday. Yeah, because I think it would have been yeah. too late for Friday, right? Yeah. That's how I remember it. Correct correct us if we're wrong, obviously. Time has since passed, man. It feels like it's been 15 years since that. Slander. This cannot stand. The Chicago Reader is a fine publication, still in print. They moved to bi-weekly back in 2020 because of COVID cutbacks. But you can still find it in print in 1,200 Chicago area locations. We'll link to it in the show notes, but you can also find it at chicagoreader.com. Before we get to Imagine, let's talk about when Crocs and Britannos <laughs> closed. Where are you going to get your books? <laughs> All right, but we, we really should should uh, delve yeah. into this album. Before we get in the actual tracks, Tony, as, as one might expect, I've got a ton of different versions of this. And I would have to say the ultimate collection they released in 2018, while it sounds great, I don't actually have it on vinyl. I've got the download of it. My favorite pressing of this is the most recent vinyl that came out in, I want to say, 2010. Sounds so quiet. The George Harrison and McCartney uh, archive collection and vinyl reissues sound pretty good. But I think overall, the Lennon vinyl of a decade ago is among, other than the Beatles stuff, the best sounding reissues. This Imagine sounds absolutely lovely. But we're not going to get into the deluxe ultimate mix edition. We're not going to get in the extra tracks. In yeah. honor of this being the 50th, we're going to focus just on this record because there's a lot to talk about. There definitely is. There definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. This is actually the first Lennon solo album I ever heard. My mom actually had this. She had the Apple label, the original pressing. So that was cool. That was cool. It's awesome. Yeah, I had the postcard and everything. I think I mentioned this once before, but I was like pretending to be Pete Townsend or something in my room once and shoved a tennis racket into the ceiling and made a hole in the ceiling. And I used that that postcard to cover the hole in the ceiling. And it, <laughs> it did the trick for a couple of years until I think it was time to paint. <laughs> so great. Did you cop to it eventually? I had, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah I would have been like 14 when it happened. And then, yeah, I think I was 17, you know, so I was almost a man. <laughs> what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. Uh, but yeah, yeah, this is, I, I've always liked this record. It's a good one. Uh, Plastic Ono is definitely my favorite, but this is a close second in the Lennon realm of solo albums. Yeah, I go Plastic Ono band, Men Love Avenue, Imagine. 
Is that right? <laughs> no, I just, I just really like rock and roll people. I do, actually. <laughs> How random in the in 86 to get all these outtakes from Walls and Bridges. That's a different episode for a different time. <laughs> Do you want to start with the title track, which was the yeah. only single from this record, at least in real time? Yes. Because in the UK, this wasn't a single until the mid-70s. And they eventually released yeah. Jealous Guy as part of the Imagine soundtrack in 88. Um, right. But in the States, we had the Imagine single. Made it to number three in the charts, was not a number one seller for John. But before we go any further, you know, you can name five John Lennon songs. You know, of course, Day in the Life is a, a true John and Paul song, but there's a yeah. five Beatles songs are ubiquitous, Strawberry Fields, I'm the Walrus, etc. But is it fair to say Imagine is the song for which John Lennon is the most associated by the masses? Completely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly it's his signature song. Yeah. And I think he was proud of it because he continued to play it. You know what I mean? I don't think he burnt out on it. He played it live, you know, the very few times he played out solo. Yeah, it's a great song. When I was a kid, I loved this song. I still like it, you know. I love the the lyrics. I like what they have to say. I think they're idealistic. I think they're probably impossible. But I think if that message is out there, it, the world is better for it. And this is one of those weird moments where we're going to have to disagree. No, I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, uh, I mean, this is about as perfect. And you see this in the Give Me Some Truth documentary and on some of the outtakes. This song was perfect when it came out of the womb. This song was perfect from its inception. I mean, this is, this is his yesterday where it mm. need not be your favorite John Lennon song to still be the best song that John Lennon ever wrote. Right. Yeah. One thing about this song and the lyrics, you're right, they're idealistic, they're dreamy. This song was a little bit controversial at the time, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you had you had a former Beatle in 71 singing, you know... And no religion, too. And no religion, too. Even the yep. phrase, and no religion, too... Just a couple years after he got in trouble for singing Christ, you know it ain't easy. Christ, you know it ain't easy. And a few years before that, the whole we're bigger than Jesus thing. Right. John's religious arc went to a different place with this song where it was, you couldn't call him anti-religion. Maybe you could say, oh, well, he's acting like an atheist, but he's saying imagine. And for him to spell his views and present it under the guise of just imagine this is the single most perfect way you can write a song because John Lennon's not preaching at you. He's opening up what he's thinking to you and that's what makes the song so stunning. Imagine there's no heaven Seize if you try Imagine all 
completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. And even the year before with God, where he was full of out course. saying God is a concept. God is a concept. By which we measure our pain. That seemed to be like harsher. That was like him saying like, this is what it is. Whereas exactly like you say, you know, TJ, I used to sell pool tables at Owen's Games and Things. And <laughs> I sold the most pool tables in December of 1993 because of my sales <laughs> presentation, which was just to show them the pool tables and point out the facts of the pool tables. And then I would step away and I would let them enjoy the pool tables <laughs> and then they would buy. <laughs> Imagine this pool table in your rec room. Did, did, did you sing that to them? Did you actually present that? I didn't have the rights. I, I couldn't afford right, exactly, it. But. Right. <laughs> I never knew you sold pool tables in 93. Uh, for Yeah, for like three months. Yeah. That was the last job I had before I moved to California, uh, right after the Northridge earthquake, when I decided to move to L <laughs> California. Look at all these mountains. Look at all these trees. Oh, shit, this earthquake is going to get down to my knees. It's another... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> like another perfect day. I love L.A. With my stupid reference, I was trying to say that I agree with you. Like, what more power than to just lay it out there and let you decide for yourself if you think that's great. Yeah, imagine this world without these barriers that are built only to divide us. Religion, you know, boundaries, borders, country, classism with regards to possessions. Like, honestly, these things are all, they're only killing us. They're, they're making us like hate each other, you know? And, and Tony, I totally agree with you. And for him to, after he states his thesis, he follows it up with, in God, it's the dream is over. In Imagine It's, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Right, right. There's a positive edge yeah. to it. Yeah. You're not alone. You're thinking these things too. You're not alone. It is some of the greatest lyric writing in the history of song, not just rock song. There's a couple, because we could talk about Imagine for a whole episode, but there's two things I want to throw at you real quick here. Yeah, me too. Um, first, uh, uh, let, let's, do, let's do a throw-off trade-off. Throw-off trade-off. Throw-off trade-off. Um, one thing is I was re-listening to the album about 16 times prepping for this episode, just this beautiful experience listening over and over and over again. It's frustrating that Imagine has become part of the soundtrack of Glee. <laughs> what frustrates me is that Imagine has become so ubiquitous that some of the power of the song has been taken away. There's a peace movement in honor of, the, and I'm all for a peace movement, obviously, but mm. in honor of the 50th anniversary of Imagine today, they're showing the lyrics on monuments all over the world and it, they do it at the Olympics. I get it. And in a sense, it's a huge compliment, but in doing so, I feel like some of the spirit of the song has gone awry. Does that make it? It, it shouldn't just be, hippy dippy peaceful it there's a message there that i don't think's being conveyed 
Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, yeah, when something's so huge and 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 big, it, it I guess it starts to feel watered down or maybe yeah, to me this song, I still love it, but it has become like wallpaper. You know, it doesn't it doesn't feel the same way it did when I heard it when I was 14, whatever, you know, when I first heard this, maybe 13, however old I was, I'm a teenager. And yeah, I don't know if that's just because it got overplayed the way other songs like on classic rock got overplayed or because of it's, yeah, it's been used as this symbol of something else. And, you know, it's like when we worked on the dumb cruise ships and it was like, it's time to have an Elvis contest. And all it is is just like people moving their hips around like morons, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, is that what Elvis is? Just like, well, when Monday comes, she's Tuesday, when Tuesday comes, she's Wednesday. Okay, I'm not sure that's really what it is, but that's what it's become. You know, it's the same thing. It's like it became a flavor of Ben and Jerry's or something, I guess. Yes, yes, that it is the Americone dream of of songs. (laughs) Right. And again, I take we we just gushed over magic. I'm not talking about the composition of the performance. I'm talking about the way it's been misused by society. And it's helped render John Lennon impotent. Too. The Nixon administration was trying to throw his ass out of the country. Yeah. While this song was massive. So it's important as we digest the song Imagine to also understand that this is not the one side of John Lennon. Yeah, let's get into that because he was a very complicated dude. Here, here's some quotes. And this kind of ties into what we're talking about here with like perhaps why the CIA had a file on him or whatever. CIA, right? Uh- I forget if it was the FBI or the CIA. Uh, like the like the FBI. Like the FBI. The CIA. <laughs> and the CIA. BB King. BB King. Doris Day. And Doris Day. And on a big fucking billboard, Matt Bugsby. <laughs> Matt Bugsby. Dig it. Dig it. Dig it. Dig it. All right, so he told this to NME. There is no real communist state in the world. This is talking about this song, the lyrics, like, is this a love letter to communism? The socialism I speak about is not the way some daft Russian might do it or the Chinese might do it. That might suit them. Us, we should have a nice British socialism. So I thought that was very funny because he's talking about no country, no borders, yet here he's dividing like his idea of the world and saying like, well, we're not going to do it the way these people do it. We're going to do it the way my people do it. So he's already he's making borders. Yes. And he briefly worked at the original borders in Ann Arbor when he played that <laughs> show in Ann Arbor. He did, he did his shift at borders. But I- The other thing I want to mention here is I mentioned my favorite sitcom of all time and one of my favorite artistic enterprises is WKRP in Cincinnati. And there's an episode from the third season in in April of 81, so well after John had been killed, where Mr. Carlson, played by Gordon Chump, who leans pretty far to the right, he's part of the old guard of the station, uh, basically a reverend comes to the station and say they're going to boycott if you don't play this music. And Mr. Carlson hands the reverend the lyrics to imagine. The reverend reads them out loud. And he says, yeah, this is communism. It's on the list. You can't play it. And that's where Mr. Carlson says enough is enough. One of my disc jockeys, uh, Dr. Johnny Fever, 
gave me the lyrics to a song. He wants to know if you'd let him play that song on the air. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion, too. Imagine no possessions. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. That sounds like communism to me. If there's no heaven, no religion, and I assume no God. There's not an obscene word in here. Not the way I see it. Let's go on your list. Arthur, this is typical of the kind of secular, liberal, humanist point of view that gluts our airwaves. So in 81, Imagine was used on an episode of WKRP as a middle finger to the religious right who at the time were trying to... And in fairness, censorship was not just the right. Look at Tipper Gore, as we've talked about before. But yeah. the kind of the, the weird religious, well, you can't say this and do this on the radio. The example used on the show was John Lennon's Imagine with the lyrics read. It was, it's, a, it's still a powerful moment, one of the three best episodes in that incredible series run. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Now, speaking of the composition of this song, it could have been a Plastic Ono Band song had it not had the strings and this and that, but... Another Lenin quote here, anti-religious, anti-nationalistic, anti-conventional, anti-capitalistic. But because it is sugar-coated, it is accepted. Now I understand what you have to do. Put your political message across with a little honey. And so interestingly, the guy who did the strings on this was a guy named Tori Zito, who didn't have too many other rock and roll credits, but he had composed a Maxwell House coffee jingle. <laughs> And that to me is just perfect. You know, he took the commercial dude to put the commercial strings on this anti-religious, et cetera, song. That's perfect. That makes perfect sense. And the strings are so lovely and understated in this. Now, I have some trivia on this. The original Steinway upright that the song was composed on was bought by George Michael from uh, George Michael's Sports Machine. Remember that? <laughs> Yes, Sundays just after the late local news or Bears wrap-up. Yes, I do on Channel 5. <laughs> but uh, actually, no, it was George Michael uh, from... Uh, oh, no, I got so excited. <laughs> Imagine George Michael, you know, pounding out a match while going over Steelers-Dolphins highlights. Or out to Cheyenne. Remember he went to Cheyenne every year to cover the rodeo because he was from Wyoming or whatever? <laughs> I remember me and my dad always being like, oh, crap, He's this week he's in Cheyenne. Okay. <laughs> I feel like George Michael's sports machine, he he needed to work on his enunciation. I felt like a lot of the times he delivered the sports in a, in a real careless whisper. Uh <laughs> One other bit of trivia that the strings were recorded on the 4th of July in New York City, 1971. So I imagine they got holiday pay. I'm sure, I hope they did. <laughs> they better. Oh, and this was put on Clear Channel's Do Not Playlist after 9-11. Isn't that wild? That's insane. It goes back to the WKRP reference. And even yep. then, people are afraid of this song. 
here's the thing, Tony. I'm not uh, last word on this. The last word next. <laughs> I'm not angry at Glee for playing Imagine. I'm thrilled that a younger audience is getting exposed to this. I just mm-hmm. want Imagine to still have some controversy. John wrote this to make a statement, and I don't want that statement to get lost in its sweetness. That's all I'm saying. I'm sick and tired of hearing things from uptight, short-sighted, narrow-minded hypocrites. All I want is the truth. Just give me some truth. At this point, if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, is it actually possible that these guys have been talking about this album for 45 minutes and they only made it through one track? Well, yeah, of course it's possible. If you listen to any of our other episodes, this this it happens. The conversation went a little long. So yet again, this episode's going to be a two-parter. We'll be back next week with the other nine tracks on this album. I don't want to spoil it or anything, but I suspect you'll hear this song one more time. And in the meantime, thank you for checking out our show. If you like what we do, we're not asking for any money or anything, but there are three things that you can do to help us out. Number one, Take a quick second and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's amazing how much one additional review can actually really help us connect with other listeners. Number two, tell your friends. I've discovered all my favorite podcasts by word of mouth, including this one. And number three, be sure to subscribe to the show and make sure it drops into your podcast feed every Saturday morning. There's been so much great Beatles stuff happening this year, and there's so much more to get to, and we're really grateful to get to talk about it with all of you. Please join us. Keep the conversation going. Bring all your feedback and your fact checks over to our Facebook page. We'd love to see you there. And that's all I got. Check back next Saturday for the next great chapter of John Lennon's Imagine, and we'll do our best to get through more than one track next time, but no promises. All I want is the truth. Untitled Beatles Podcast. Like and subscribe.